If you got your Bibles, uh, you want to turn with me, we're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to be beginning that chapter today with verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verses 1 through 4. Um, a few months ago, let me look around the room this morning first to see who's here. Okay. A few months ago, um, I stood right up here between services and... Somebody came up, uh, I won't tell you if it was a man or a woman, but somebody came up to me and began to ask me some questions about the Bible. And they were upset about something, uh, a situation or a, something here in the church, and they were upset, and they began to ask me some questions about the Bible. And so I, I you know, grabbed my Bible, and I began to show them some scriptures that dealt with this uh, particular thing that they were uh, upset about. And the thing about this person that asked me the question is this person has been going to this church for several years. Not several days, not several weeks, not several months, but several years. Um, and, uh, and I know them. And as they began to ask me some stuff and I began to show them some scriptures, this person said to me, that's really in the Bible? The Bible really says that? They had, no, they had no clue. Now again, this person had been going to this church for years. They had no idea that there were scriptures in the Bible that dealt with that particular situation. And I got a little, I want to say I got a little bold. I really got a little aggravated, to be honest with you. Um, and I said to this person, I said, you know, can I, can I be real honest with you? And they said, yeah. And I said, I find it very odd that you would be upset about something when you don't even know what the Bible says about it. I said, I would encourage you first to go home and study and see what the Bible says. Then, if you want to get upset, that's up to you. But don't, don't get upset about something that you don't even know what the Bible, what the Bible says about it. Now, the, the thing that struck me that morning, here's a person who's been going to church for a long time, but yet they were ignorant of, of certain things. To, and by the way, this wasn't complicated. This wasn't some, you know, very obtuse or, or, or odd little thing. It was a very common thing, and they, were, they, they didn't know what it said. So I want to talk about people like that this morning, and that's exactly what Paul is going to talk about. The, the title of our lesson this morning is The Danger of Being Merely Human. The Danger of Being Merely Human. Let's read it first, then we'll come back and walk through it. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 4. Paul is writing again to the church at Corinth, and he says, But I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? And that's where we got our title today, The Danger of Being Merely Human. Now, let's keep in mind, up to this point in the letter, Paul has painted a picture of Christianity that's pretty simplified. In fact, it's really oversimplified. He, he has talked as if there's really only two classes of people in the world. That is a natural person and a spiritual person, if you've been with us so far uh, in the first two chapters. Now, 
Paul's not dumb. Paul's a very smart guy, very intelligent guy, and he understands that the world is not that simple, right? You can't really classify people just necessarily as natural people and spiritual people. In a church like Corinth and in a church like River of Life, there are going to be people who don't fit nicely into those two uh, categories. And so in today's passage, Paul says, okay, there is a third group that I want to talk about. And there may be others, but so far Paul's talked about natural people and spiritual people. Now he's going to introduce a third group of people, and he does it in verse 1. He says, let's read it again, but I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual and mature people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. So let's make sure we understand what he's saying. He's saying, in other words, in chapters 1 and 2, I talked about mature spiritual people who could understand the wisdom of God, right? But he says, I can't put you in that category. You're not mature people. You're not spiritual people. In fact, he says, I'm going to come up with a new name for you. He said, I'm going to call you fleshly. Some of your translations may, may say carnal. Or he said, another word for it, he says, is infants or babies in Christ Jesus. So, let's just real quickly make sure we understand where we are. First of all, Paul has explained there's a group of people that he calls natural people. These are people who do have, they have no spiritual life within them. They don't have the Spirit of God. They're not saved. They're not believers. Therefore, when they see the gospel, when they hear the things of God, they find no spiritual value in them whatsoever. Okay, that's a natural person. On the other end of the spectrum... It's what Paul calls spiritual or mature people. Now, these are people who are so deeply indwelt by the Spirit of God, who are so controlled by the Spirit of God, that they can, they can understand and value any spiritual wisdom they get. You, you, you can open that Bible and go to the deep things of God, and these people can grab a hold of them and value them and see them as worth, worthwhile, even, even when, it's, when it calls for the death of their own self. That they can value the things of God. Any level of biblical truth they can handle. Now, there's this middle group that Paul has introduced today. That, again, he calls fleshly Christians or baby Christians. Now, before we look at some of the characteristics of this particular group, I want to look at something. So you understand this new group are Christians, right? Paul says you're baby Christians, you're fleshly Christians, but he still calls them Christians. So the first thing I want to do is look at some characteristics of all uh, Christians. Number one, Paul has already made it clear that if you are a Christian, you are what the Bible calls in Christ. We saw this in 1 Corinthians 1.30. Paul said, And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Um, the, the way that I always... when I, You hear the Bible talk a lot about being in Christ. What does that mean? When I think of it, you think of it, you know how when you have a newborn baby now, you know how they take a newborn baby and they wrap them up in them little tight things and so they can't move? You know how Jesus was wrapped in swaddling clothes? Think about when you become a Christian, what happens is God wraps us up in Christ. He wraps us up in the sense that Christ becomes for us everything that we need to be accepted by God. He becomes our wisdom. He becomes our righteousness. He becomes our sanctification and our holiness, our redemption. Everything that we need to be accepted by God, we get wrapped up in that. 
And, and to be in Christ is absolutely, folks, the greatest privilege a human being could ever ask. There is no greater privilege on this earth than other than to be considered to be in Christ. There's nothing that even comes close to it. Um, it is absolutely the safest, most wonderful, the most beautiful, the most peaceful place that anybody can, can ever obtain to uh, in this world. Now, that does not mean that we are morally perfect, right? None of us, there's not a person in here that even though we may be in Christ, we're not perfect. We're growing, we're, we're becoming better people, more virtuous people, more kinder people, gentler people, and the list goes on and on, but we're not perfect. Now, what it does mean, though, is that when you are in Christ, that now God is totally for you. All of His actions towards you are now the actions of a loving Father. Not a wrathful God, but a loving Father. Even when things happen in our life that we don't understand, He's still allowing those things to happen because He's a loving Father. He wants to work things out in us. He wants us to be more mature. He wants us to become more like His Son. So that's the thing. We are, we're not perfect, but all, in all of His actions, God is totally doing those on our behalf as a loving Father. Now, that's what it means to be a Christian, to be in Christ. Another thing about all Christians is all Christians start out as babies. In 1 Peter 2.2, 2, Peter says this, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk of the Word, that by it you may grow up into salvation. In other words, when you get saved, whether you kneel by your bedside or you're praying while you're driving your car or you come down to an altar, when you finish praying, you don't just all of a sudden miraculously are this um, spiritual, mature Christian, right? It just doesn't work that way. All Christians start out as babies in Christ. A, a deep spiritual walk with God doesn't just immediately happen after conversion. Just as a baby takes time to grow and mature, a Christian uh, does the same. And that's perfectly natural. That is absolutely the way uh, it should be. Another thing that we need to understand about Christians is just like babies, Christians mature at a different rate from one another. Just like all babies don't walk at nine months, all babies don't talk at 12 months, all babies don't feed themselves at 15 months. Every baby is different. There's not a set schedule that they have to hit. They can be within a range, and, and, and we would consider that uh, to be normal, right? That's, everybody's different. Not, you know, we can't say, well, I'm here, you're here, or you're here, and I'm here. That's not the way it works. Okay? Everybody matures at a, at a different pace. So I say all that because what I want you to understand this morning is Paul is not upset with the Corinthians just because they're babies in Christ. He understands there's a process of growth that Christians have to go through. In fact, listen to his phrasing again in verses 1 and 2. He says, But I, brothers and sisters, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Notice he's talking in what? That's past tense. He's not talking about today. See, he's talking about early days in the church. When I first, he's saying, when I first came to Corinth and you first got saved, when you were first brand new Christians, you were babies. I fed you with milk, right? You weren't ready for solid food, so I gave you milk uh, at that time. Now, that's absolutely fine. 
That was absolutely normal. Just as babies need milk uh, to, to get started in life, Christians need the milk of the Word. Okay, that, And Paul's not upset about that. That's what he's saying there. It was past tense. When you were new Christians, I fed you with milk. You weren't ready for solid food. That's okay. Now, I want to stop here for just a second because Paul is talking about the milk of the Word and the solid food. So I want to ask a question. What is milk and what is solid food? Now, last week we talked about always reading the Bible in context. Here's something else you always do. When... when when one writer or one passage or one verse in the Bible uses something, always let the Bible interpret the Bible. You don't just read the word milk and think, oh, let me just go make up something. No, go find another passage that talks about milk. The Bible will always interpret the Bible. Well, we find this passage, uh, there's actually multiple ones, but we'll use the one out of Hebrews 5. Uh, Hebrews 5 says this, You have been believers for so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's Word. You are like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. So when Paul says you need the milk of the Word, what he's saying is the milk is the basic things about God's Word, the basic principles, the basic truths about God's Word. Now, that obviously leads to the next question. Well, what are the basic things about God's Word. Well, the writer of Hebrews goes on to tell us exactly what he means. He said, Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptisms, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further understanding. So there are six things that the writer of Hebrews tells us that he considers to be the, the basic foundations or the milk of the Word, okay? And that is repentance, faith in God, baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. He's saying, you should have done moved on past those. Everybody with me? He said, You're, we got to teach you those six things again and again and again. You ought to be teaching everybody else, but we have to keep going around that same basic foundation, those, those same basic principles. I want to look at those real quick. A couple of them. Look at the first two, repentance and faith in God. Those are things that you preach to unbelievers, are they not? What did Jesus say? Repent and believe. That's repentance and faith in God. You see, in other words, that, that's where you start right there with anybody calling for repentance and for them to put their faith in God. Now listen, evangelistic preaching has its place, does it not? We are to preach and call people to repent. But the Bible says that's milk. It's not solid food, right? And if, that's, if, if we were a church and we get up every Sunday and every sermon and every uh, class that we teach, we, preach on, we teach and preach on repentance and faith in God. Repentance and faith in God. You know what? We might get some people saved, but can I tell you, the Christians in the church will never mature. They'll never grow. Does everybody see that? Okay, that's, that's basic stuff. You, you have to move on past that. Um, look at the other two, baptism and the laying on of hands. Probably when he talks about the laying on of hands, he's talking about healing. Okay, So teaching, uh, teaching in the church concerning rituals like baptism and praying for the sick, they're needed for new Christians, are they not? 
a new Christian comes on, we teach him about baptism, to walk in obedience to the, to the Lord in baptism. We teach him about the laying on of hands and, and how to come forward and get prayed for when you have certain needs. But again, the writer of Hebrews says that's milk. That, that's something you teach new Christians. You, don't have, you shouldn't have to keep coming back and teaching and preaching that to mature Christians. In fact, if you keep preaching that, and that's all they hear, they'll never grow. They'll never mature. It's just, it's just milk. The other two that he mentions are resurrection and the eternal judgment. By the way, he's not talking about the resurrection of Christ. He's talking about our resurrection, our eternal judgment, right? Again, those are things we should teach Christians. All Christians should live with the hope that one day I will be resurrected and one day I will stand before the Lord and have all my sins covered. Okay? That is a wonderful teaching. That is something all Christians should know and believe. But again, it's milk. That's not solid food. Okay? That, that's, that's, not, that's not maturity. That's basic stuff. And he says, you, you just keep going around that mountain again, and we have to keep teaching you the same thing again and again and again. Now let's think about milk for just a second. Milk, I did a little research on it this week. Milk is the perfect food for a human baby's digestive system, right? If you go read it, it has just the right nutrients that a baby needs. It's easily digestible in their, their system. It even contains antibodies that helps protect them from illness. It's an absolutely perfect food for a baby, okay? Um, and just like milk is designed to get newborns off on the right foot, these six truths or these six uh, fundamental principles are designed to get new Christians uh, to grow and to mature, okay? I'm sorry, they're, they're designed to get them off on the right foot, but they're not designed to build maturity. They are milk and not solid food. Now, what is solid food? Well, solid food is preaching and teaching that unfolds the fullness of God so that God's people grow up. All right, I want to read Ephesians 4, 11 through 14. And I want you to listen to this. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up, there it is, that grow, mature the church, the body of Christ. Now watch why. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. He's saying there are people that are coming in the church, and they're going to be so tricky that they will come in with a teaching and it'll be so clever. It'll be built around the truth and they'll use the right words. And if, you, if you're not a mature, child, a, a, a mature Christian and you're immature like a child, you'll, you'll swallow that hook, line, and sinker. But a mature Christian can sit there and say, no, no, that ain't, that's not right. Did y'all see uh, this past few weeks the, uh, the, uh, the professor at Wheaton College that they let go Everybody see that? So there was a professor at Wheaton College, and she came out and said that Muslims... Now, Wheaton College, by the way, if you don't know where, who, what Wheaton College... Wheaton College is one of the primary uh, Bible colleges in the United States of America. It's very well known. And they had a Bible professor came out and said that Muslims and Christians, we all worship the same God. Now, this is a Bible school, a, a very prominent Bible school. 
She said, Muslims and Christians all worship the same God. Now, a lot of people said, oh, yeah, that's exactly right. It's the same God. No, it's not. See, a mature Christian immediately, as soon as I read that article, it popped into my mind. Jesus said, if you don't know me, you don't know the Father. Right? We studied that in John. You don't know me. You don't accept me. You don't know, you don't know the Father. You, I don't know who you're worshiping, but you're not worshiping my Father. I mean, that, that scripture is, that, that's something every mature Christian, how, how do we have someone teaching in Bible colleges that doesn't know that and can come out and say that Muslims and Christians worship this? That's, that's, that's ridiculous. But yet, see, it sounds good in this politically correct culture that we have. And people, immature Christians, will swallow that hook, line, and sinker. Uh, Paul is saying here, no. No, you are to grow up. You are to be mature. And by the way, what do you have to be mature in to be able to tell the truth from the lie? You've got to be able to mature in the Word of God. You've got to know the Word of God. You've got to study the Word of God. And we're going to see that here in just a minute. You see, you can look at things. See, Christ died for my sins. That's milk. Would we agree? Repentance. Put your, Christ died for my sins. That's milk. We died with Christ to sin. That's meat. Right? It, rejoice in the hope of the resurrection. That's milk. Rejoice in your sufferings. That's meat. You see, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it's a whole different level. That it, that it takes you to. In fact, one of the things you see in the milk is all about what God did for you. When you move on to the meat, it's all about die, death to self. What does God expect from me? What do I have to do? You know, you see a whole nother, another level there. Milk is great, right? And it has its time in the life of a baby. We absolutely understand that. But do you understand when a... When a you have a little baby, and it's on milk. Do you understand life is kind of messy? Right? You take a baby that's on milk, you know, they're burping and puking and messing in their diaper. It's just this absolute, absolute disaster. You know, you just look at it. I kept, my, I kept Ella Kate a few weeks ago, and Brittany went to town, and I kept her, and it was just, it was nasty. That's all I got to say. And I thought them days were gone. And it was staring in front of me again. And I set her on the bed, and Kathy's got a white bedspread, and I threw her down there, and I took that diaper, and I said, Oh, Lord, help me. And she's squirming, and I'm trying to grab her and trying to get it and hold it. Oh, it was a, it was a, it was a mess. But that's, that's what babies do, right? Um, that's, that's what a baby is. And you know what? I don't mind doing that. Does anybody mind? We don't mind cleaning a baby, do we? Because that's... I mean, they're beautiful and they're, they're, they're so sweet and, and we just do all that. We don't mind doing all, but we do it with the understanding that one day they're going to grow up and be able to take care of themselves, right? That's the understanding. I'm going to get you through this period of time, but one day you're going to grow and mature and you're going to be able to do all that for yourself and take care of yourself and feed yourself and bathe yourself and clean yourself. That's our, that's our understanding. But what if they didn't? Think about that you've got this, norm, this perfectly healthy baby, perfectly healthy in mind and body, and then they grow up and become a young man or a young woman who's perfectly capable of taking care of themselves, but yet they don't. They just keep doing all the same things that they used to do, and they require you still to bathe them and feed them and clean them. Can I tell you that that thing that became such a loving, caring thing when they were a baby becomes disgusting and unnatural? 
Would you agree with that? I mean, who wants to do that for a 15-year-old boy or a 12-year-old girl? It becomes, and I'm not talking about, you understand, I'm not talking about kids that can't take care of themselves. I'm talking about if they're perfectly natural and perfectly capable of taking care of themselves and they won't, then that thing that becomes loving and natural becomes disgusting and, and unnatural. You see, what bothers Paul is not that at one time they were little babies and they needed to be fed with milk. That doesn't bother him. He understands that's perfectly natural. What's bothering Paul is they haven't changed. That a period of time has gone by when they should be on solid food. They should be taking care of themselves, and they're not. They're perfectly content to stay right where they were. Look in verses 2 and 3 how the tense changes. See what he says? He says, I did feed you. I was back then. I could not feed you with solid food. I had to feed you with milk because you weren't ready. But watch what he says. Even now, you're not ready yet. Even now, you're still of the flesh. He said that's what's bothering him. Not that they started out as babies, but they haven't progressed beyond that. And what is it about them that tells Paul they're still babies? Well, he tells us that in verses 3 through 4. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Paul, Apollos, are you not being merely human? Jealousy, strife, sectarianism, those are just some of the things, characteristics of baby Christians things that are still in them. By the way, Peter mentions several more in 1 Peter 2, 1 through 2. So he says this, So put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, and like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk. See, he's, he's talking to newborn Christians here. He says, put away malice. Put, put away that mean-spiritedness. Put away deceit deceiving one another. Put away hypocrisy and envy and slander. So he's not talking to unbelievers here. He's talking to, to new Christians. I ran across this this week, and, and I thought, well, how can we put this in some practical ways that we could all understand? And I found this little thing. It said, you might, you remember, oh, what was the guy's name? You might be a redneck if. You remember that guy? Well, this guy had some things up. He said, you might be a spiritual baby if. So you might be a spiritual baby if you fight with other Christians or you are jealous of other Christians, you are probably an immature child in the faith. You're not mature at all. If you're fighting with other Christians and you're jealous of other Christians, that's exactly what Paul said in verse 3. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and acting in only in a human way? Babies, think about babies, right? I mean, babies will... Do they fight? Yeah. I mean, just put them, put, throw them in a room, throw some toys in there and step back and watch what happens, right? They don't naturally, do they naturally share, here, you take this, I'll take, no, that's mine. Every one of them wants everyone, in, uh, everything is theirs. And they will slap, kick, punch, bite, pull hair. They're brutal, right? Um, they're not, are they enemies with one another? They're not, but don't they act like they are? They'll act like that kid over there is my absolute worst enemy. You see, Christians who fight with one another are acting like babies in a playpen. They're acting like babies in a playpen. See, as a Christian, your enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil, not other Christians. As a Christian, your enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil, not other Christians. 
There's too many Christians that need to get out of the playpen and get out on the real battlefield and start fighting. But they just sit in the playpen and just fight with one another. It is absolutely ridiculous, and it is the sign of an immature baby uh, Christian. Number two, you might be a spiritual baby if you want to be the center of attention. You always want to be first. Listen, a, a child's whole world revolves around who? Them. It's all about me, right? And I've seen them, you know, somebody over here will be getting attention and they run over there and they'll grab your leg because they want you to hold them. Look at me. That's exactly, they don't want that other kid or anybody else. They want to be the center of attention. If they see anybody else getting attention, they'll do something to, to put themselves in the spotlight, right? Because um, that's just what they, they do. A few weeks ago, Pastor Henry, when he was preaching through Third John, he, he talked about a guy of named Diotrephes. Y'all remember that, that particular sermon? Well, look what it says in 3 John 1, 9. I wrote something to the church, Paul, uh, John says, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first. See, Diotrephes was an immature Christian. He's, unfortunately, he was the leader of the church, but he's an immature Christian because he's always got to be first. Look at me. I tell you, one of the signs of a mature Christian is, is they don't do that at all. Look at 1 Peter 5, 6. Talk, he says, all of you clothe yourselves with humility. Mature Christians are able to step back and say, whatever. You know, you, know, you go first. It's no big deal. You know, I don't have to sing. I don't have to teach. I don't have to preach. That's perfectly fine. They're able to step back because they're secure in who they are. They're secure who they are in Christ. They don't need other people to, to validate them and tell them uh, who they are. You might be a... Uh, you might be a spiritual baby if you are easily offended. Okay, let me say that again. You might be a spiritual baby if you are easily... Babies tend to be very sensitive, and if something don't go their way, they're going to cry, they're going to pout, they're going to sulk, they're going to whine, they're going to scream, they're going to fall on the floor and throw a tantrum. You don't see that with mature Christians at all. You don't see that with mature Christians. See, with a mature spiritual Christian... Nothing like that could be further from the truth. Psalm 119 said this, Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Another translation says nothing can offend them. Listen, when you know, show me someone who knows who they are in Christ, you cannot offend that person. Show me someone who knows who they are in Christ, and you try as you may, you cannot offend them. It, it's like a, it's like a, it, it'd be like a little baby coming up to you and trying to throw slurs at you and try to offend you, you just think, well, that's just the dumbest thing I've ever... That's what a mature Christian's like. You can't offend them. But, but immature Christians, baby Christians, man, they'll be offended at anything. They're just not very mature. They don't understand yet who they are in Christ. You might be a spiritual baby if you have trouble staying clean. Right? Go back to our analogies of babies. You can, you can, you can bathe a baby and powder them and everything and put them on the floor and turn around... And they're picking chocolate peanuts out of the cat litter before you can even... Where'd that come? You know, what's that on your mouth? They got chocolate dripping, or you think it's chocolate dripping down their mouth. Or they're in the toilet, right? Or, or Ella Kate, I caught her one day. She had the dog bowl. She had it turned up. She was drinking out of it. I mean, right? That's just what they do because they're immature. They don't have the knowledge that it uh, takes. They are always... Let me tell you... Immature baby Christians, they're the same way. 
right? A baby Christian always seems to be defiling themselves with sin. No matter how long they've been saved, they can't overcome the sin and drama in their life. They're constantly defiling. They're constantly getting dirty and staying dirty. Mature Christians are not like that. Mature Christians have learned to rise above that. Here's the one I really want to point out. You might be a spiritual baby if your knowledge of the Word is shallow. Okay, I tell you, the one thing that I see that separates a mature Christian from a shallow Christian is a knowledge of the Word, right? Babies have so little knowledge and understanding of the world that they'll do things like drink, right? Don't we have to shut up our cabinets because they'll just go in there and drink poison? You, you have to protect children, little babies, because they don't, they don't know what to do, right? They'll, they'll jump out in the street with the cars. They'll, they'll, uh, they'll eat dirt. They'll eat anything. Because they don't know, right? See, listen, that knowledge is everything. Once they begin to learn, once they begin to get that knowledge, they begin to be able to make the right decisions between right and wrong, what's good, what's bad. Well, see, this is the same analogy here for baby Christians. They don't have the knowledge. They're not able to make good decisions. Why? Because their knowledge of the Word is, is shallow. If you're, and here's the thing. If you're shallow in your knowledge of the Scriptures you'll be just as shallow about applying the Scriptures to your life. You can't tell me you got a good knowledge of the Bible. If you, if you study the Bible, meditate on the Bible, read the Bible, you'll apply the Bible to your life. I mean, you will. You, 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 after, if you're not studying the Bible, you're not meditating, you're not reading, you're not applying. You, you can't, it, they go together. It's not one or the, one or the uh, other. John 15, 3, Jesus said this, You are clean through the Word that I've spoken to you. See, the Word cleanses. The Word cleans. The Word sanctifies. The Word purifies. When we're studying the Word and applying the Word as, as mature Christians, it's cleaning us and sanctifying us and making us holy. But people that have a shallow knowledge of the Word, that's not, that's not happening uh, whatsoever. Now, I do want to say this before moving on because we made a lot of analogies here. Um, uh, and I could have made more. I could have gone on and on. One of them, I, I, one of them, I find is attention span. Kid, kids' attention spans are like about that long, right? I mean, they have no attention span. Immature Christians are the same way. It's very difficult for an immature Christian to sit in a class like this. Very difficult because they just they they they. they everybody with me? Mature Christians can sit for forty-five minutes and listen to the study of the Word of God. And it's like, it's great. Immature Christians can sit there and think, man, man, when is this going to be over? Man, let's, they can't handle it. Their attention span is very, very short. I mean, we could go on and on. I do want to say this before we move on with an analogy. We've looked at the analogy between human babies and spiritual babies. But keep in mind, analogies always break down. Analogies only go so far. And I wanted to make sure we understood this. You see, when it comes to a human baby... They're not responsible to feed themselves, right? The human baby is fed by its parents. It's taken care of by its parents. We, you know, we're responsible to, to lock those cabinets, to make sure they're watched. The pool gate is shut. We protect them, okay? But a baby Christian is only going to grow as much as they purposely read and obey and apply the Word of God to their life. You know, I can't do it for you. You can't do it for me. You're responsible to read the Word, study the Word, obey the Word, and apply the Word. That's you. 
you have to do it for yourself. So that's where that analogy uh, breaks down. In, in, in the spiritual case, the growth is up to the person, not someone uh, else. Now, these are some of the signs of a baby Christian, right? Jealousy, envy, strife, fighting amongst themselves, mean-spirited, deceitful, hypocrisy, slander. Everybody with me? Y'all see where Paul and Peter said these are some of the signs of a baby Christian. Now here's the problem. Aren't those the same signs of a natural person? Go back and look at the works of the flesh. Those are the, a, a, a natural person acts in the same exact way. So here's my question. How do you tell them apart? How do you tell a natural person without the Spirit of God and, a, and an immature Christian with the Spirit of God and they act exactly the same way? How do you tell them apart? There's not a, by the way, there's not a sign over their forehead that says, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. There's nothing like that. There's not a secret code that only Christians know, right? That, that, that it doesn't work that way. And by the way, do you think it's important to know? In fact, if, 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 if Cindy, if I come up to Cindy and I get to know Cindy for a while and she's exhibiting all those attributes, if I think she's a non-believer, what should I give her? I, I would teach, I'd, I'd say, you know, I teach her about faith, I teach her about repentance, but if she's a believer, doesn't she need something else? Doesn't she need to move on? So how do I know? And as a Christian, what do I do? How do I, how do I handle, by the way, this is a situation we're going to run into all the time. That, that person that sat up there and asked me those questions that day, I knew immediately, okay, something's not right here. Something's not right with this person. They're not a mature Christian. That means they're either an unbeliever or they're a spiritually immature Christian. How do, how do I treat them? That's, that's something we need to know. We're going to talk about that. By the way, you can't tell them apart. That's one of the dangerous about being a baby Christian or an infant Christian. You, you cannot tell them apart. And the other thing is they can't tell themselves apart. In fact, if there's nothing in your life that shows that you're a Christian, then how do you know you really are? Listen, don't miss this. As a Christian, you should test yourself. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul writes this, Examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. In other words, test yourself to see whether you're a Christian. Examine your life to see whether you're a Christian. Test yourselves, or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Examine yourself. Test yourself. You know, I, I used to tell this to the youth all the time. If I ask you a Christian, and you say yes, and I say why, don't tell me, well, seven years ago I knelt at an altar. I don't care what you did seven years ago. I want to know about today. Are you a Christian today? Tell me why. Tell me why you're a Christian now. That, that's what makes me a Christian. That's what I can look at and examine, not that when I was 11 years old I, I knelt at a church. That, that was 42 years ago. What about today? What's in my life today that I can look at and see and examine and know I'm a Christian? By the way, the Bible tells us in multiple scriptures. Here's one, 2 Peter 1, 5-9. Listen to this. For this very reason... Make every effort to supplement your faith. By the way, faith is what? 
It's milk. It's foundational. It's the very beginning. It's where you start out. He says, make every reason to supplement, every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. That word virtue means moral goodness. And, and virtue with knowledge. And knowledge with self-control. And self-control with steadfastness. And steadfastness with godliness. And godliness with brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. Paul says, make every effort to make your calling and election sure. Well, how do, I'm sorry, Peter says, and I, said, I may say, well, Peter, how do you do that? Are you practicing those qualities? What qualities are you talking about? Are you adding to faith moral goodness? Are you become more morally good as you go through life? Are you, are, do you have more and more self-control? Are you adding um, knowledge of the Word of God? Are you growing in the knowledge of the Word of God and becoming more mature there? Are you steadfast? Are you, are you just like a rock when it comes to the things of God? Or are you in and out and up and down? Are you adding godliness, godly character? That's the fruits of the Spirit, right? Are you adding brotherly affection? Are you loving one another? Or are you fighting with one another? See, look at your life. Look at the qualities and things in your life. He says, if you'll practice those qualities, you'll never fall. Because God's producing those. So when I look at my life, I don't look at what I did 42 years ago. What's going on today? Am I, am I growing in godliness? Am I growing in self-control? Am I growing in the knowledge of the Word of God and the things of God? See, that's, what, that's, how you, that's how you test yourself. Now, let me close with this. What's really interesting in this passage is how Paul handles a group of people. By the way, Paul hears some gossip. We won't call it gossip, but Paul hears from Chloe that there's a church is in a mess. That there's jealousy, there's strife, they're fighting from one another. They're, 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 they're lining up, they're doing what's called sectarianism. One's lining up behind Scooter, another is lining up behind Erwin, another was lining up behind John. They're all lining up behind one another. Now Paul is, is somewhere else, and he has a choice to make. Well, those maybe they're not believers. Maybe they never got saved, or maybe they're just immature Christians. Okay. Now I want you to watch how he handles this. First thing he does... He forces them to think about their current state by asking some questions. Let's read uh, 3, 3 through 4 again. For while there is jealousy and strife among you... Are, now watch, he's asking a question. He's not stating a fact. He's asking them a question. While there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? When one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? See, what I want you to see is he doesn't come out and say, you, you're a bunch of unbelievers. You're acting like... And when he says merely human, he means a natural person. He means an unbeliever. But he doesn't come out and say, you're an unbeliever. He asks them a question. Aren't you, just, aren't you acting like an unbeliever? In other words, he's, what he's saying is, could it be that the reason you have not made any progress beyond the early days is that you're really just an ordinary person? You're not saved at all. Everybody see how he does that? He doesn't say one way or the other because, by the way, he doesn't know. But he puts the question toward them. Look, if you keep acting this way, 
Could it be that you're not, you've never been saved? That you're just merely human? He puts it to them as a question so they'll face it. So they'll come, uh, you know, they'll confront that in their life. See, he doesn't want to believe that. He wants to believe that they really are Christians, just immature ones. So what is he to do? Should he treat them as unbelievers? Or should he treat them as immature Christians? Now, Paul makes a choice, and I think in his choice there's something we can learn. You see, I mentioned this earlier in the example with Cindy. How should I treat her? Should I treat her as an unbeliever, or should I treat her as a Christian? Because I can't tell, right? I don't know, so what should I do? Well, I want you to notice something. Paul treats them as believers. Now, this, I'm going to be real honest with you here. That is the exact opposite of what I normally do. I'm just going to be real honest with you. That's the exact opposite of what I normally do. Normally, if I see somebody acting like that, I immediately write them off. Bunch of unbelievers. <laughs> bunch of heathens. Bunch of pagans. I mean, is, does anybody else do stuff like that? It was a, it's probably just me. I know I'm not. I got a long way to go. Um, see... Paul, I notice here, he does the opposite of what I do. I tend to write them off immediately as unbelievers. Paul doesn't do that. He treats them as Christians. He, he, he says you're fleshly Christians, you're immature Christians, you're babies in Christ, but he gives them the benefit of the doubt. He gives them the benefit of the doubt. They're still in church. They're still around the things of God. He, he saw something in them at one time, and so he gives them the benefit of the doubt. Now, but he sounds a warning right? If you don't make progress in Christian maturity, you are on extremely thin ice. If you don't make progress in Christian maturity, you are in a very dangerous position. So he sounds the warning, but I think the way that he handles this should be a lesson for all of us. Two things. Number one, we are to be like Paul and hope for God's best in people. When we've got somebody like that, like that person that day that came up to me, see, I would have probably immediately said, man, he might be hanging around church, but he's not a believer. See, I think Paul would have said the exact opposite. He'd have said, you're an immature Christian because you don't know the word. See, I think Paul is, is setting a precedent here for us. When we don't know, right, then let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let's, let's make the assumption that they're Christians but there are immature Christians. And again, we see people like that in church every day, do we not? That they literally could go either way. You can't tell. You just can't tell by their life exactly which one they are. He says, let's give them uh, the benefit of the doubt. So let's not be quick to write people off as unbelievers. Let's give them the benefit of the doubt like Paul did. And, and by the way, if I, if I do that with Cindy then what I'm going to do is try to feed Cindy the food that she needs to grow. Everybody with me? I'm going to say, okay, you're a Christian, so let's start giving you what you need to begin to grow as a Christian. Whereas if I assume they were an unbeliever, I might approach them a completely different way. Paul says treat them as believers. Make the assumption that they're believers and feed them in that, in that way. Um, however, we shouldn't ever treat continued immaturity as unimportant. Okay? We, we should never look at a church and see a bunch of un immature people and say, ah, it's no big deal. As long as you're a Christian, as long as you're a Christian, 
As long as you just, you know, there's some people it seems like in life, they, if they can just make it to heaven, you've heard that, right? I don't care if I get a cabin in the far east corner, if I can just get, boy, that is extremely dangerous. That is extremely dangerous to have that mindset because be honest with you, if you got that mindset, I can't tell, and I don't think you can tell if you're a Christian or not. A mature Christian says, man, I want to, Man, I want to lay it all at His feet. I want to honor Him. I want to magnify Him. I want to glorify Him. I can't wait to see Him. can't wait to spend eternity with Him. I want to do all I can for Him. I don't, not that I just want to barely cross the finish line. That, that is a very dangerous uh, thing. So we shouldn't ever treat that as unimportant because it could be a sign that true spiritual life has never existed in that person that they're really not a Christian at all. And so, again, we give them the benefit of the doubt. We make the assumption that they're just immature Christians, but at the same time, like Paul, Paul said, hey, guys, aren't you just acting like you're merely human? You might want to look at your life. We're to treat that as an important thing. At the end of the day, only God knows, right? Only God knows the state of that person's soul. We cannot make that uh, decision. Now, I want to close with one question, and that is probably the most important question is this. Which one am I? Which one am I? Are you a mature spiritual believer? Or do you know who you are in Christ? Are you growing in the knowledge of the Word? Are you adding to your life those qualities that that Peter uh, delineated there? Are you adding... Uh, all the godliness and virtue and self-control and brotherly love, are those things growing and increasing in you? Or are you that immature Christian who just can't seem to stay clean? That your, your, word, your, your knowledge of the Word of God is, is, is shallow. You just keep, you know, you can't get away from the basic teachings, your attention span. You just can't seem to fall in love with the, with the Word of God. See, that's the question. It's not which one are they. The question is, which one am I? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for 1 Corinthians.